Hey there, welcome to the Dressage with Amelia podcast, where it's all about breaking things down and helping you learn to love your ride. I'm your host, Amelia Newcomb. These sessions are recordings from my Facebook Live, where I answer as many questions as I can from my audience. I hope you enjoy this episode where I answer your questions about dressage. Please help me out and share this with a friend who also rides horses. Happy Thursday. It has been a week. We've been busy. It's been a week since we've been here and we're back again. We have uh, some great questions to answer tonight. We have some exciting updates. I'm doing a pee-off webinar next Sunday, January 28th, 12 noon Pacific time. I've never done a webinar on the pee-off before. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm going to be breaking it down, teaching step-by-step how to train the pee-off. Don't miss out. And you got visuals and all that? Yeah. I always, I do, for all of my webinars, I spend a lot of time putting together slides. I started making my slides in Canva now, which is like a graphic design app, and it has all these cool features. So they're definitely, my slides are looking much better. Uh, But yeah, I was reading the pee-off book in bed the other night. Herman was like, what are you reading? I was like, is that the Kemfrey's book? The Carpenter's book? Yeah. Yeah. I I recognized it. Yeah. So I've been studying up on PIAF training and I'm looking forward to sharing that during the webinar. In other exciting things, for those of you in strides, we had a guest lecturer this week come in on Tuesday night and she did a seminar on nervous system co-regulation. You know what nervous system co-regulation is? I was going to say, can you make that into common vernacular? Okay. So nervous system co-regulation is, it. you can happen with like other people, or it can also happen with you and your horse. But have you ever noticed how when you're around someone or your horse, that's like super anxious and tense, that it starts to get you anxious and tense? I- I see that happening and then I try to be the leader. Right. So that's nervous system co-regulation is like you're around someone and they're like, and you're just like, okay, I'm just going to breathe deeply. We're going to chill out. And then it helps that person to chill out. And it's the same thing with your horse. Like when you feel your horse getting all hyped up, if you breathe, relax, become mindful of the situation, it helps your horse. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yes. So she had some great techniques to use and to help you calm down and become more mindful of when you're starting to get like amped up and excited. One of them that she talked about was this technique called shaking. So let me know if you're watching live, if you've ever heard of shaking before. Had you ever heard of it? Yes. Yes. I tell all my students to shake, shimmy, uh, take their legs, lift them off, shake them. And I describe it like when well, you see the horses when they get up and they shake, right? And they call that a horse quake. And you have to do that from the saddle. Yeah. But you've seen, so there it says no, never. And, but you've seen horses get up and shake like that. Yeah, they shake. And uh, dogs horses, do it. Horses also shake when they get scared. Like it's a natural thing. It's a natural way to relieve that stress, that anxiety. 
Yeah. Okay. But now that I didn't know. But what um, Dr. Beth was recommending is this is like, you can do it a little bit when you're in the saddle, right? And like when you feel yourself getting tense, just kind of right. like take a deep breath, shake it Literally. off. But she was talking about before you get on and she had this like music that she played where you just go and you like start shaking your shoulders and like kind of like dancing around your, the, I don't know, do it in the bathroom where no one can see you <laughs> before you get on your horse. Um, but we all freeze up when we get nervous and that's like the worst thing that you can do on a horse. So, um, so yeah, shaking was kind of an interesting technique. She also talked about tapping where you that like, you say like, you know, I don't know. I'm not even going to try to explain it, but you basically like say things and like you tap your forehead, you tap your forehead, you tap your eyes and it stimulates the vagus nerve, which helps you to relax. So Bottom line is this, you have to figure out how to regulate your nerves and your nervous system. And it's super important that you start to become mindful of like when you're getting tense and nervous, and then you figure out ways to help calm yourself down. And then you need to be able to do that in the saddle. Like you have to consciously feel like, okay, I'm getting tense and nervous. And you have to and have a plan. It's critical because if you get tense, and regardless of what the horse is doing, right? Let's say the horse is neutral. If you're tense and nervous, the horse is going to follow that. Yes. So that's for starters. Now, if the horse spooks or something, and now you go, oh my God, now you've just compounded the problem. Yeah. But one thing that Dr. Beth recommended is that you always spend a little time before you interact with your horse. So like, it, you know, either spend two or three minutes in the car before you get out of the car or, um, you know, kind of reset yourself and set your intention and your baseline before you go to your horse. So think about, you know, the intention that you have, like that you want to love your horse, you want to enjoy your horse, you want to stay calm, breathe deeply, get yourself in that mindful state and then go and be present with your horse. But if you come to your horse, if you come to the barn and you're like stressed about work and you got in a fight with your husband and you're all anxious and you bring that energy into to your ride, it's going to be a bad ride. Yes. And, you know, everybody talks about it forever, keeping your emotions under control. And yeah, that's the trick is how to. And we all know, okay, yes, I shouldn't get angry, right? I shouldn't be frustrated. I shouldn't be scared. But what do you do when those things happen? Yeah. You need a plan. Yeah. Here, Carrie has a question. What do you do to calm yourself before the test, before trotting she down the center you. line? You say, what do you do? Um, as I'm going around the outside, and the last thing I tell my horse before we go down the center line is I'm like, all right, dude, let's go horseback riding. <laughs> and it just, poof, before yeah. I make the turn down center line, I just look at him like, yeah, we're just going horseback riding. Yeah. And it, it's no thing. We're just going horseback riding. Yeah. I've started at the horse shows lately, like, especially when I'm doing the Grand Prix with Harvey, which is like a big deal. I've started um, just laying in the tack room, like, and visualizing my test. So, because in a show day, you get all like hyped up and you have so much to do and you're racing, racing, racing. And I've found that, I set my phone for a 10 minute timer 
I lay down, I close my eyes, I breathe for a few minutes, and then I ride through my test from beginning to end a few times. And that really helps me to have a plan and to like kind of calm myself. And then kind of like Herman, I always think about when I go in the show ring that I'm proud of my horse and I'm excited to be there and just the, a feeling of gratefulness, like a feeling that I'm grateful to be at the show riding my horse. And that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you win or whether you lose, it's just that you're, you've done the best you can to prepare yourself for the competition and you're just going to have fun and enjoy it the best you can. So, um, good question. Uh, Lori said she was told to smile when she gets nervous. Yeah, I read that somewhere too. Force yourself to smile. Okay. This is a good question from Brooke. We know Brooke. She's in strides. Uh, she has a question. So she was, I'm curious what your answer on this is. She was told to use her seat bone separately in the saddle. Have you ever heard that? I, how could you separate one? Right. I mean, you can drop one or slide them over, but I don't know that they function independent of one another. Because they're connected to your pelvis. So right. it's like I, a just, I, I don't know how. Yeah. I mean, I'm really not a doctor and I'm not <laughs> up on human anatomy. I don't know that they disconnect. No. But but I do think that we'll have to ask Stephanie. Yeah, because <laughs> she so. knows about these things. But but I do. No, think I've never heard it. That you can weight one seat bone then yeah. more than the other, and I also think you want to feel two seat bones, like because when you're riding, you should feel both seat bones. You shouldn't be just leaning on one seat bone. What's the question? Again? And it, um, she said she was told to use the seat bone separately. So separately, yeah, that yeah. that word I'm having trouble with. Yeah. Okay. That's the word. I mean, because yeah, everything you say, you could sit to one side, you can sit to the inside, you could wait one more, you could move one to one side of the saddle or the other, but I wouldn't know how to do it. I wouldn't know how to separate my seat bones. Okay. Um, the other question that Brooke had is I sometimes use this analogy when I'm talking about contact about pushing a shopping cart. Have you ever heard me use that? No, not the shopping cart. So it, you know, we always talk about like riding from back to front, riding from our leg to our hands. Yeah. And so I actually learned this from Melanie Kessler, but she was like, imagine like you're pushing a shopping cart. Cause you know how, when you're pushing the shopping cart, you're using your legs and your core to like power the shopping cart forward. Right. And so I feel like when your horse is really connected, that's kind of the feeling that you have. It's like your leg is going to your hand and pushing it forward. Do you like it? I do. I use a wheelbarrow. A wheelbarrow. Because the, yeah, handles okay. on, the handles on the wheelbarrow are the reins. Okay. And then the tire is the horse's head. And so then the reins are on, you know, the horse is in the middle of the aids, right? So your forearm and the handles are the straight lines down to the tire. And then if you've ever moved a wheelbarrow, your hands don't cross over the withers, right? Because your hands are on those handles. And so I like it like a wheelbarrow. Okay. Oh no, I just lost all of our questions that I had pulled up. Okay, here's a good question from Maya. How do you get a horse round in the canter? 
in the usual way <laughs> which is what okay so you're in the canter and you've got an outside rein and an outside leg and they're on and the inside rein is pushing to the outside and the inside rein supples yes inside now, leg to outside rein supple and soft on the inside but the horse has to be going forward The, the the suppling rein, the restricting aids can't overpower the driving aids because then you won't come over the back end on the bit and get around. And, and somebody you, else went with lawnmower, so that works too. You should also um, get your horse around in the trot first. Like if you're having trouble getting your horse round in the canter, go back to the trot and make sure that your horse is really round in the trot and then carry it up to the canter because everything. And if you're having trouble, do it on a circle. Yeah, but everything in straight, circle. everything in riding it is harder the faster you go. Yes. So go back to the walk and the trot and get it there. Yeah, get it in the, more, and in the easier way and then go. Betty needs would like you to explain that again more slowly. How to get your horse around in the canter? So you you've got the outside rein and the outside leg, and um, and the. I can't remember which book it is. And that's like the hand, that's the anvil. Outside rein, outside leg. And then your inside leg, that's the hammer. It pushes into the ribs. And that's where the bend comes. And the inside rein doesn't create bend, but it sure helps. And so that's why you supple with the inside rein. But the uh, the bend is that you have an outside rein and an outside leg, and they're on. And then you, and it's not constant squeezing. I mean, we've been talking a lot about breathing, and we have to do that for that question there. Um, so you push that inside leg and it releases and you push that inside leg and you get in and you take it off and you get in and you take it off. And, but you have to be there to receive it with the outside leg and the outside rein. And then the inside rein helps make them supple in the jaw. So they're not stiff in the neck. But you get your horse round through suppling and bending them you don't get your horse round by just pulling on two reins and driving with two legs and that's what we've a lot seen of, that done though it, it usually <laughs> it, it creates a frustrated horse so that's why it's always important this like inside leg to outside rein concept which if you're in strides that's next month's topic is inside leg to outside rein because it's so important all right are we going to answer Renal's question is that the how do you sit light in the saddle and still feel the seat bones? I'm told to sit light in the saddle in downward transitions. That question? Yeah. It's your breathing. Explain. So you can all do it at home with me right now. So you're sitting, right? You get up tall. Take a breath. Raise your center of gravity. Lift it. When you exhale, keep your posture and sink down into your horse. Raise it. Sink it. So you will insert, you don't push and grind and dive into that saddle, but it's just the breathing regulates your center of gravity. And that's how I do it. And so my downward transitions, I'm exhaling, by the way, so that I feel the downward and then I push for the forward in whatever gate I'm taking off into. Okay, here's a good question from Elizabeth and this actually I let me know in the chat if you were mostly like a hunter rider or jumper rider and now you've transferred over to dressage I feel like we have quite a few students that we see in strides that are like in a in a hunter saddle I had a student during office hours last night 
who had mostly done hunters and now she was transferring over to dressage. So how do I master sitting the canter? I'm a hunter jumper, but I want to do more dressage. What's your suggestion for that? I'm sorry. I was reading somebody else's question. Go because ahead. it, <laughs> pay attention. I'm paying okay. attention to two How points. I'm you... having trouble. <laughs> when you're like hunter riders, right? Yes. So they're mostly in two point. Yes. And they don't really sit. Right. So how do you get them to sit in the saddle in the canter? Half seat. But in, in dressage, it's more, it's a full seat. It's a full seat. Yeah. Yeah. So, so but if, if you're trying to apply this, right, with hunter riding, um, you're doing everything. In, I mean, it's still the same idea. The angles increase because the stirrups are shorter, but you can still sit down. I mean, even if you're in, a, you can use your weight and then come back up it's kind of a half seat but we want them like if they really want to do dressage they then need they to be need in to a sit. full seat yes absolutely i thought you asked me how to do it as a hunter they want to do more dressage lengthen your stirrups sit up taller and straighter and sit back yeah so that you really mind that line ear shoulder hip heel yeah. so you're going to make your stirrups longer and even when you think you're straight, lean farther back because yeah. you or have somebody watch you because um, once you get used to a certain thing, because it's familiar, it feels right. Yeah. So you're probably going to feel like you're laying back on the horse and you're just going to get to straight. So, yeah, if they're going to change their position, then stirrups longer and really mind that straight line. Yeah. And it definitely, it's harder to sit back in a jump saddle because- Right, because it's designed to put you forward in the two point. I mean, that's what the point of that saddle. Yeah. So, but it's also, I think in order to really follow the canter motion, your hips have to move. Like you have to kind of, it's- Right, your hips pendulate. So if this bit. is your body and these are your shoulders, your your shoulders have to stay still and your hips have to go with that canter. Your hips do, it's like a grandfather clock. The top of the pendulum doesn't move and the bottom moves. Those are your hips moving, your shoulders stay still. Because your horse's back goes like a wave in the canter. And so when like hunter riders, when they're up in two point, they're not following that wave, but to do right. dressage, you're allowing that wave to come forward because they're in that light yeah. two point. And so that goes forward. <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, your seat is a really important part of riding dressage because your seat really is what gets your horse engaged and connected and allows you to feel more what's happening underneath of you. Like in jumping, you get up in a half seat because you can't really go with like the full motion of a jump, right? Like, can you can you jump in a full seat? You don't jump. Oh, well, uh, no. <laughs> It's the not very jumps. comfortable. The horse jumps. You you follow the horse. The horse is jumping. Okay. Jumping. Can you sit in the saddle over a full jump? They used to teach that. I mean, the old and they would sit back, and there's pictures of that, you know. But oh. that changed with Caprilli in 1940 something, and that's when they all started to sit forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyways, in dressage, you want to feel your horse, and you want to sit in, and you want to sit connected. And there's Stacy who says sitting back is such a struggle for me. So I think was when was Albrecht out last? Three months ago? Four months ago? And uh, he told me to sit back in the canter when she was doing some things that was making me sit forward. So it happens to everybody. 
Yeah. Yes, it happens to everybody. <clears throat> okay. Mel has a question. Do you have any fun exercises to incorporate in a workout to make the horse think quicker? Pulls, cones, yeah. transitions. Um, but yeah, I like to do lots of transitions. And when you want your horse to get quicker, the key to your transitions is that the upward transition is like really crisp and like a rocket, like really like go. And then the downward transition is really gradual, like that they think forward, downward. Right. Because it with a horse that's not quick, what they'll do is they'll go like slowly up to the trot. And then from the trot slam to the walk, the just slam on the Yes. I'm with Barbara. Let's go steeplechase. <laughs> steeplechasing? Steeplechase. Yeah. I'll make your horses active. Um, poles and Cavaletti, that's also great because the – Physical pull on the ground forces your horse to be active without you having to like right. kick or pull or they like become do more, anything. They have to articulate the joints more. And so, yeah, Cavalettis are good. Yes. Uh, okay, let me see what other questions are good here. All right, here's another one from Mel. I ride a horse that's learning dressage. How do you make them quicker off the leg during transitions. Halt gallop. Yes. Halt extended trot. So more extreme transitions. Right. Uh, you also want to think about the way that you use your leg aid. So. <laughs> Someone's worried, Levi. He's snoring. I'm glad you can't hear <laughs> Levi snoring. But when you use your leg, you always want to start first with your calf. You never want to start with your spur and your whip because then you're just teaching your horse to respond to the spur and the whip. Because the spur and the whip are the auxiliary driving aids and your leg is the driving aid. So it's the spur and the whip back up your leg. But you don't always have a whip, so you don't want to become reliant on. So close your calf, one Mississippi, and then kick. Sparky. Yeah. And but the, the key too to that is that your reins really have to be elastic and allowing. You can't say go, and I was just kidding, but because now I'm scared and I'm gonna grab the reins and make my horse stop. You really gotta be committed to going. Okay, here's a good question that I think is important for us to talk through because it really dives into the progression of training a horse. So Jennifer says, I'm working on teaching the backup to my mare. She backs softly on the ground on voice commands as well as a soft rein pressure, but doesn't seem to translate with her on her back and meets with a lot of resistance. When she gets frustrated, she doesn't understand and she can become a bit dramatic. So I'm trying to stay below threshold. So a couple of things for the rain back. Why is the rain back hard to teach horses? It's not some, it's nothing they do naturally. Yeah. That is absolutely a learned behavior. They just do it because you tell them, but they, they don't do that on their own. And it's a huge test of submission and trust, you know, for your horse to back up because they're flight animals, they run away. So for them to back up, it requires them to be very, 
on the aids, very focused, very paying attention. And so I always recommend teaching the rain back from the ground first. That's right, but she super says that important. from the ground, it's happening. I know she says that, but I wanted to reiterate the importance of teaching it from the ground. Okay, well, I think she's handled that part. <laughs> <laughs> then sometimes a couple of things. One is that a lot of times if like if you're asking your horse to back up and they won't back up a lot of times what i'll do is i'll push them sideways like i'll do a turn on the forehand into the rain back just that's, to break the tension up yeah because when you feel that stiffening that's not comfy right so pushing them a little sideways helps to break the inside hind leg over like it helps to loosen them and then you can take that energy backwards that's actually classically how they used to teach rain back to horses was from the shoulder for shoulder from the turn on the forehand because it gets your horse engaged and connected and then you can just take that energy back so and just do one step that that's really what i see the most and i mean i don't know i haven't been to your house but you just do one step and if the horse gets you just stop right there and then you do one more step later but don't try and get all four yeah the other thing that i've had to do with some horses uh, i had this horse gatsby and he like would not back up and so I, I actually had to have i think you helped me one time came like and stood beside him and, and did it from the ground yeah. with you on top and yeah then he got over and it. then he got over it so that's another way but it's always important when you're training your horse to think about how you can break it down into smaller pieces and then figure out what you still need to work on to help the rain back like i would guess that your horse probably isn't accepting the contact enough like they're probably not round and soft enough in the walk and the halt i would work on that as well because that's right. going to help that's you with your rain round and that they step up into the halt so that they're not really long and splayed out because then they're not in a balance that can allow them to rain back They've got to pretty much, I mean, they don't have to be exactly square, but they've got to be more of a rectangle, no more like a square than a big rectangle. Okay. One more question. This is um, from Justine. She says she has two horses that she does flying changes, um, but with her one horse, he can get really anxious and won't let me touch him with my leg to straighten him. Do you have exercises to help with this? Uh, put your leg on. He, he, he can't tell you how the contact's gonna be. That's, you put your leg on. Softly. Well, Drape I didn't say kick him, your horse. <laughs> but your leg has to be on. He doesn't dictate the terms of contact. That That's not the horse's job, so. You put your leg on and you get them used to your leg. And what was the rest of that? So she's specifically talking about flying changes. And I think one thing that's really important with your flying changes is that your leg position is what dictates the lead. So you should, if you're in left lead canter, you should always have your left leg at, at the, the girth, girth and your right leg slightly behind the girth. And then as you straighten your horse for the flying change and this is where it gets a little tricky we actually filmed a video on this um 
Herman was teaching our assistant Kane, but as you straighten your horse, like you're in left lead canter and you start to position your horse for a right lead canter, you must keep this leg position until you ask for the change. So it's really important when you're trying to straighten your horse. Or set it up actually into the wrong ver because you want the bend the other way. But right. You have to be able to ride the lead counter bent. Yeah. Without changing your leg position. With that, right. That's what keeps the lead. So if you're in, you've got to be in left lead canter. You're in left lead canter position, but you have to be able to bend the horse to the right. And then when you switch your legs, that's the aid for the change. But if you can't put your leg on, there's no amount of exercise that's going to make that okay because you have to be able to keep your leg on and then move your legs, and that's the aid. Yeah. But when your horse starts to anticipate the changes, go back to the counter canter. And, and like Herman said, you have to be able to go counter canter and then change the flexion the other way. And until you can do that, until you can go counter canter and change the positioning of the bend, don't allow them to do the change. And a lot of times when we're teaching the changes or when we're excited that our horse can do the change, every time we change directions, they do a change. Or every time we take the bend right, the other they way, figure they do out a how, change. They know, right. back to what we started with, right? They know you're happy. They know you're smiling. Yeah. You do a change and you're ecstatic. And the horse goes, when I do that, they're very happy. <laughs> and so then they do it. Yeah. So you just have to slow down, go back to the basics and be very precise about your leg position. Because my guess is that you haven't been consistent or you've accidentally changed your leg position when you um, have been getting ready for the flying change. And then your horse thinks, you know, already to do the flying change. Um, someone on Facebook is asking, what if your horse wants to, oh, what if your horse wants to back crooked? That's a good one. Ah, okay. So it, you have to, so you got to move the shoulder over. Let's say the haunches, the haunches are going this way. You've got to kind of flex that right side, move your hands over and get the shoulders over the, the hind leg that it's stepping towards. Does that make any sense? Or just put the rail on the side. <laughs> That's what right. I do. But you know, when you halt, because my mare, and here's the thing, my mare, she'll back up straight. Uh, when I'm traveling to the right and I have the rail on the left. But if I have to stop at C in front of the judge, like at second level and I'm going to the left and I rein back there, the haunches fall left. Yeah. And so, because I know this, uh, I know my horse's haunches are gonna fall left. So when I go to show her for, for starters, when I halt at C, I make sure I'm in shoulder in. Yeah because I need to have the shoulders over that left hind leg. Cause I know when I rein back, the haunches are going left. And so then when I make my rein back, I'm still kind of cheating my hands because we teach our horse to be in the middle of the eight. So if my hands are a little left, that means the shoulders are supposed to be a little left. And so then I can rein her back straight and I'm successful, you know, three quarters of the time. It keeps getting better. <laughs> The rain back is a hard movement. It, so many things that go wrong yeah, with that. It has to be straight. It has to be diagonal. And it's like such a test of your horse's submission. But I always love, I ride a lot with Joe Hinneman. And he's like, 
Halt, rain back, and walk pirouettes. Those are what we, they're non-brilliant movements, meaning that it doesn't matter how brilliant your horse moves. It's just a test of your good and correct training. The rain back is such a good movement because it engages your horse's hind end. It lifts the back, it gymnasticizes them, and it's not a lot of pounding on their front legs. Like you can do a lot of rain back, but you can't do 50 extended trots. So I think it it is a good movement to practice and it's a really hard movement. So anyways, I hope you all have enjoyed our Thursday night Q&A session. We do these every Thursday night. And don't forget to RSVP for the PF webinar, which is going to be Sunday, January 28th. I hope you all are surviving the weather. Let me know in the chat how freezing cold what, it the 70 ha- degrees yeah. we had today no <laughs> we can't we shouldn't even talk we are There's... lucky here in california but i know my parents both live in colorado and my dad said it was like negative six degrees like so freezing cold and Roy I... was like my brother where are you gonna move it's one degree in tennessee yeah his friend lives there now yes we are very spoiled by the weather here and um when I was in Colorado, I was frozen all the time. So that's part of why I moved here. Because it's hard with horses when it's cold and you have to bundle up. You go up outside and, and you look like Nanook and then you got to yeah. put your leg on and you... Shovel frozen poo and break water buckets. All right, we got and... minus 10 in Colorado. <laughs> minus 15. Okay, so we got to do the math though because 30... In, in Australia, ad, um, that's, that's warm. Be about, yeah, 85-ish. 85. Yeah. yeah. Negative 20. Negative. Negative 35. Negative 13. Oh, my gosh. Negative oh. 34. <laughs> All right. Well, if any of you Manitoba, want to. Manitoba. Um, I think they're winning with 18. No, no. He's got minus 34 with the to, uh Come to California. We, we have a little rain coming. It's going to be pretty rough. <laughs> survive we'll be all right yeah but anyways hang in there with your horses uh stay warm where lots of degrees and 97 percent humidity in brisbane where's brisbane brisbane australia australia wow that's really that's really hot i think i'd rather be cold you can always put on another jacket but what do you do in 97 percent humidity wow all right. Well, I hope all your horses are and we'll see you warm guys next week. and safe, and we'll see you next week. Good. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for all of your awesome questions, and I hope you learned something new from listening. If you're new to the podcast and you'd like a question answered on a future one, get on touch on Facebook through Amelia's Dressage Club, Instagram at Amelia Newcomb Dressage or YouTube at Amelia Newcomb Dressage and mark the question for the live sessions. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please share it, review it, and tune in again next week. Thanks so much and happy riding.